gather here this morning to worship the living God. We worship the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we gather here to lift up our praises this morning. We also gather here for fellowship. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and welcome them here this morning. Let me direct your attention to some of our announcements in our connections page. You will see that at 5.30 this evening, the gals group will be gathering at Stella's restaurant for dinner tonight. Sounds very tasty. And that, of course, is at Monarch Plaza in Dana Point. August 29th, Tuesday at 4 o'clock, right downstairs in our youth center will be a summer book talk, and they are working through a gentleman in Moscow. And September 10th, there is an information meeting if you'd like to consider starting the eight-week small group of Sacred Story Prayer. They've listed both the retreats for men and women's retreats. They put the dates there so you can put them on your calendar. And this year, we are celebrating as a church the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. You will see that we have quite a lineup on September 10th, 24th, and November 1st to celebrate that. And of course, we as a church are celebrating our 100th anniversary. And I'm so looking forward to our dinner at the uh, Hotel Laguna coming up here on September 17th. And I heard upstairs this last week, I believe there's only two seats, two's left, maybe four. So if you'd like to go to the dinner, make sure that you sign up when you get home today. Two left, is that right? Or if you're having trouble signing up, you can give Leah a call at the main office and she will be sure to help you out there. We have a military outreach going on this Sunday and our next Sunday out in the patio. They're gathering up funds to purchase school supplies for military families. And so you can make sure you do that out at the church patio. I believe that is it. And we also have the Kalmans helping out this morning. Gary and Lori Kalman, who are going to be going back to Africa, but South Africa this January. So they are here with us to help lead in worship this morning, and they are truly a blessing to our church. Let's lift up this time in prayer. O oh God, our resurrection and life, the promise of new life in Christ is like a breath of fresh air in a dry and thirsty land. We gather as those who are seeking your truth and love, trusting your promise of making all things new each and every morning. May your word touch not just our minds, but also our deeper yearnings of heart and soul. For we bring with us our daily concerns as well as our more eternal questions. May your still small voice speak to us this hour that we might become makers of your peace in our homes, our communities, and in our world. We pray all of this in the name of the one who calmed the raging sea, who spoke his word and stilled the wind, the waves, and the storm. We pray this 
In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Oh, if you will join me for our call to worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the the Lord Lord is good. good. His His steadfast love endures forever. And his his faithfulness faithfulness to all generations. generations. Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. Let us stand and worship the living God. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. Together. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. All my soul praise him, for he is thy help and salvation. All ye who Oh! 
fellowship church. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arm. So we sing this wonderful old hymn together. i 
Hear the call to confession. But when we keep our faults and failures safely locked away, we have no need to confess. But God comes into our hearts when we least expect, so we can be filled with forgiveness, with hope, with peace. Let us boldly approach the throne of God where we will find grace and mercy. Join me in the prayer of confession. God of empty tombs and empty people, when we hesitate to speak of your hope, forgive, forgive us and give, give us voice. When we find it difficult to love one another, forgive, forgive us and, and give, give us new compassion. compassion. When we want to stand with the high and mighty, forgive, forgive us and put us next to the poor and oppressed. When we stay in, locked and behind our fears and doubts, Forgive us and send us out to share your grace. When we cannot believe your word of new life, forgive us and fill us with your joy. Let's take a moment for personal silent confession. Hear the good news, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. love that song, Speak, O Lord, and it so fits with the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, truths unchanged since the dawn of time. 
truths that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, we'll stand on your promises. And by faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, until your church is built and the entire earth is filled with your chavod, your glory. That's my heartbeat this morning for the church and for our world. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been on a journey through the book of Acts. We started the first Sunday in May, and we'll conclude that journey in the last Sunday of August with Acts chapter 12. But this morning, we find ourselves jumping forward to Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. And before I read those verses, let me give a synopsis of what has happened up to this point. Last Sunday, we met this guy named Saul. If you remember, he was a Jewish Pharisee, and he was on his way to Damascus with letters to imprison all of those who followed the way or were disciples of Jesus. But God had other plans for Saul. He was met by the risen Christ on the road, and Paul, instead of being a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, now becomes a proclaimer for the church, a proclaimer of Jesus Christ, God's only son, the fulfillment of the Torah, the one who forgives sins not by works, but by grace. And Paul is going to spend the rest of his life proclaiming this one gospel of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. So with Paul no longer persecuting the church, we're told that he was now finding himself under persecution. The disciples help him flee up to Tarsus, where he was originally from, and we're told that the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And it lived in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers. And at this time, we have to know that the church is made up of Jewish Christians. But all of that is about to change. Praise the Lord. Now we're about to meet two men. One we're familiar with. His name is Peter. You know about him. He walked on water. That is, until he didn't. He said he would die for Jesus until he wouldn't. And then he denied that he even knew Jesus. But the unexpected grace of the resurrected Lord lifted up Peter's face and commissioned him, saying, Peter, now feed my sheep. And the fisherman is now a shepherd. Peter in Acts number nine is uh, Acts chapter 9 is living in Joppa by the Mediterranean Sea, and the Holy Spirit is at work through Peter, healing and also raising people from the dead. Wow! He raises a woman named Dorcas, a widow of Joppa. He raises her from the dead. And by the work of the Holy Spirit through Peter's life, many come to believe in the Lord. Now, the other man we're going to meet is a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's a non-commissioned officer, similar to an army captain, and he's stationed up in Caesarea along the Mediterranean Sea. And Cornelius is probably in charge of about 100 men. 
And it was said of the centurion that they were the backbone of the Roman army. They were good leaders of steady and prudent mind, not prone to take the offensive or start fighting recklessly, and of such sound and steady character that when overwhelmed or hard-pressed, they were able to stand fast and die at their post. Luke tells us specifically about Cornelius. Cornelius is an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of by the entire Jewish nation. How about that? Cornelius is a man of prayer, one who gives alms, most likely going to support the widows and the orphans of Israel. But you see, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a convert to Judaism, seeking to fulfill the Torah, but because he is not circumcised, he remains on the outside of the covenant of Israel. Cornelius has forsaken the pagan gods of Rome for Israel's God, Jehovah. It is Jehovah that Cornelius is seeking to love and to serve and to obey. Now these two men, Peter and Cornelius, are about to be converted. They are about to be changed from the inside out. They are about to be given the eyes of our compassionate faithful, loving God. Both Cornelius and Peter are given a vision in chapter 10. I summarize that vision. Cornelius is assured by an angel of the Lord that his prayers and his alms, get this, have ascended before God like smoke from a burnt offering of meat given by a priest in the temple of God. Now that's remarkable. And Cornelius is told to send for a certain man named Simon Peter down in Joppa, 30 miles to the south, who he doesn't know. So Cornelius sends two of his servants and a devout soldier, who we're to gather is another seeker after Jehovah. Now Peter is given a vision. <laughs> Peter sees a sheet lowered down from heaven by four corners, and, and in this sheet are all of the animals that... You are not supposed to either touch or eat because they will make you unclean. And the Lord tells Peter, get up and eat. And Peter says, no way. I've never done that. I've never touched anything unclean. And then God says to Peter, Peter, what I have made clean, you must not call profane. And as Peter's puzzled, we're told by this, and as he's thinking about it, just at that moment, Cornelius' men arrive down at the door, Peter's up on the roof, and they call out, and the, speeder, Peter, and the Spirit tells Peter, go with these men, for the Spirit of the Lord has sent them, and you are to go with them without hesitation. Do not hesitate. So Peter takes with him six other Jewish believers, and together they journey up to Caesarea to where Cornelius is waiting with his entire household and all of his close friends. He's packed them in to his house. There's, not enough, there's no more space. He's got them all in there waiting. And Cornelius runs out to meet Peter, 
You see, he runs out to meet Peter because he knows that Peter is a Jew and he knows that he's a Gentile and Peter can't come into his house and so he runs out to meet Peter and he sees Peter coming and he falls down at Peter's feet and begins to worship him and Peter says, get up, don't do that. I am just a man. And so Cornelius and Peter walk together to Cornelius's house and Peter walks inside. All right, that should just shock you guys. No, seriously, you should all be saying, wow. Peter, without hesitation, walks inside. Praise the Lord. Once inside the house, Peter and Cornelius shared their vision together. And Peter tells Cornelius why he, and, and probably for his six Jewish friends who are believers, he tells him why he walked into Cornelius' home without hesitation. He said, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? And listen to Cornelius' answer. All of us, all of my friends, all of my relatives, I gathered everybody I possibly could that could fit in my house, all of us are here in the presence of God to listen so as to hear and obey all that the Lord has commanded you to speak. And so now we too are ready. Speak, O Lord. You'll find Peter's sermon on page 129 in the New Testament. Let's open to that. Hear now the sermon that Peter proclaimed in Cornelius' home. And then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no favoritism, no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right, does justice, loves mercy, and walks humbly with God. Anyone who does that is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death, hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as the judge of both the living and the dead. All of the prophet, prophets testify about him, and everyone, everyone who believes in his name 
receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon everyone who heard this word. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Cornelius and his household invited Peter and his friends to stay with them for several days. This is, church, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. This passage has challenged me a lot in this week, this week that we've lived through. It's challenged me to think about the word partiality. It's the word we translate as favoritism. But the biblical sense of the word is literally means lifter of the head, lifter of the face. And I was challenged to seriously look at how I divide up the world, how I may show favoritism or partiality. I was struck by a, a story I had come across of C.S. Lewis who when he shares this story about himself, he writes that he was, when he was six or seven, and he must have been a very precocious young man to have done this, but when he was six or seven, he walked up to his father and he said, Father, I have a prejudice against the French. And when his father asked why, Lewis replied, I find this hard to believe, but Lewis replied, well, if I knew that, it would not be a prejudice. You see, prejudice means to prejudge. We make up our minds with whatever we can find to support our judgments, our prejudgments. And you have to know that the Gentiles were judged by the Jews to be lesser breeds who were apart from the law. How does that make you feel? Because you are a Gentile. And this was Peter's challenge as he comes to meet the Gentile Cornelius, and it will quickly become the Jewish Christian church's challenge as God's Spirit grows the church out into the Gentile world. Because by our human nature, that part of us or that part of me that is fearful of my place in the world, I keep my world safe by keeping the perceived other out. And favoritism is a big problem, isn't it? And it can be a big problem in families. It, it certainly it was in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac, Leah and Rachel, Joseph and his brothers, Saul and David, David and his brothers, the prodigal son and his brother. Like, we could just go on, right? Amen. <laughs> Human favorites, and our favoritism is both a mix of sentimentality and merit. 
And perhaps you have similar biblical stories in your own family. I know I do in mine. Okay, some maybe not as epic as the biblical ones, but yeah, they're pretty good. And I was thinking about some of them. My step-grandfather, uh, Grandpa Joe, on my mom's side, was a tough union steel worker. He was a World War II Navy man and a very feisty Italian, about this tall. And he loved my older brother, Bob, Bobby. And it was clear to me from a very young age that Bobby was his favorite. But I knew Peepaw, as we called him, loved me. But I could see that there was a very special bond between these two. And maybe because I was a girl and I was in the middle, it, it really was okay with me. But then there was my, grandma, aunt, or my grandma's sister, my Aunt Helen Shibish, which is spelled P-R-Z-Y-B-Y-Z-Y. -Y -Y. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in. She was a short, feisty Polish woman on my dad's side, and she absolutely doted on my little brother, Bill, Billy. Billy was born premature, he almost died, and he was, truth be told, absolutely adorable. And my mom tells me that I treated him as if he were my own baby doll. Now, honestly, I couldn't begrudge my aunt's extraordinary favor on my brother Billy, because she only had him on special occasions, but I had him all the time. Now, I imagine the truth is that we all favor someone or something over someone or something else. Some of you favor Stanford over USC, or USC over Stanford. Now I know I'm meddling. That's But what about when favoritism becomes a barrier to sharing the gospel, to sharing the love of Jesus Christ? When we may exclude those who are hungry and thirsty to know the forgiving love of God in Christ. Does God play favorites? Now Peter knew the answer to this question. He had passages like Deuteronomy 10 hidden in his heart. Here, Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and the mighty and the awesome God who does not show favoritism, nor does God take a bribe. You see, Peter, just like me, if I'm honest, he just didn't understand the radical implications of God's amazing love. But Peter is certainly finding out, isn't he? If you still have your Bible open, look at Peter's sermon. I love his first proclamation. He says, I get it. God shows no favoritism. But everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. Who does what is right. That word there means justice. It's the Micah 6.8 reference to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. That person is acceptable to God. And the logos, the word that God sent to the people of Israel, is the word that proclaims peace by Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the entire cosmos. 
And there are three questions that we'll look at, just answer quickly about this text. The first is, why was this sermon so powerful that the result was an unexpected second Pentecost to the Gentiles? Well, Peter's message was a summons from Jesus himself, the one who is the living water, the one who is the shepherd of the lost sheep, the one who is the bread of life, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who is the judge of the living and the dead. And Jesus is saying, all who are hungry, all who are thirsty, all who fear God, all who do what is right, you are acceptable to God. Come and receive the gift of forgiveness of sins. Come, receive the peace of God. And even as Peter is speaking these words, the Holy Spirit falls on everyone. Cornelius, his relatives, his close friends, absolutely everyone packed into the home. Why? Why? Because Cornelius is spiritually hungry and thirsty to know the living God. He could have been singing Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God. You alone are my strength and shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. He was a man like David, a man after God's own heart. And that sort of man attracted those sorts of people so that those friends and relatives were also spiritually hungry. N.T. Wright says it this way, we have a message to someone who had been on the outside of Judaism, but he's pressing his nose hard up against the window to look in. One who respected and valued Jewish traditions and was doing his best to honor the God of Israel as far as the normal limits permitted. Peter's saying, in effect, you've been standing at the doorway, come on in and meet the Savior of the world. And the Spirit falls on them as they heard the word proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit resurrects their hearts. The second question we have to ask is, well, what is the meaning of this story? What does this mean? In short, it means that the gospel is for the Gentiles. Even those perceived as lesser breeds, those outside the Torah, even the uncircumcised are regarded as fit vessels for the Holy Spirit's dwelling. Did you notice that there were no verbal responses by Cornelius and his friends and family? The Holy Spirit of God knows your heart. The Holy Spirit alone knows our hearts. Who is in control of this mission? Peter? No way! No way! God is. The Spirit of the living God. The Spirit of God is seeking for every lost soul to come. And while Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And what's Peter to do? For the gospel has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Finally, what does this mean or say about the mission and purpose of the church? That's you and that's me. You see, Peter sees there's only one thing to be done 
And he says to his six Jewish Christian friends who are with him, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the walls of prejudice in Peter's heart crack and come tumbling down through the amazing love of Jesus. So much so that he stays in the home of the Gentile for several days. That should really shock us. Because the Jews couldn't even touch the utensils of a Gentile without being defiled. How in the world did they eat? Did they sit at the same table? They stayed for several days. Wow. That's radical, church. That's a radical wall that has fallen down. Cornelius and Peter are now both welcomed by the same God, forgiven by the same God, healed and transformed by the one who is the Lord and Savior of all, Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, reconciled by the work of Christ on the cross. And the grace of Christ, which alone can set us free to love God and neighbor as self. That's what we need to hear in this time and in this day. Both are sealed with the same Holy Spirit, both baptized in the waters of baptism, dead to self, alive to Christ. The fence and the wall has fallen. Praise God. This story made me think about a, a, a story that was shared with us by Linda Roberts at our women's retreat. It has to do with fences and walls. There's a story of a rancher and a farmer from California who traveled to Australia to learn from ranchers there, and he saw a lot of differences, but it surprised him that there were very few fences. And when the farmer asked the Aussie, how do you keep the sheep together without fences? The Aussie responded, we find that if we dig a deep well, a deep well of water, the sheep do not wander very far. Church, Jesus is the living water, welcoming all who will come. Come to the waters. Be raised to new life. Be forgiven by the one who is the lifter of every face. Clearly, God plays no favorites. Amen? Let us pray. Father, may we always be and seek to be a deep well church, always seeking to stay close to you, seeking to know you and the power of your love. Help us, Lord, to freely give what you have freely given to us. Give us the spiritual boldness of Peter, the heart of the faithful devotion and obedience of a Cornelius, and Holy Spirit be at work in our lives transforming each and every one of us more and more into the image and the likeness of Christ. So be it, Jesus. Amen.
Will you stand and let's affirm our faith together? Paul's going to spend a lot of time working with the church on this very topic of inclusion. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth were called the uncircumcision. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. But there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Amen. You may be seated. Present to the Lord our tithes and offerings.
stand as we sing that refrain together. pray. God of compassion and love, time after time we have experienced your care and provision. Time after time you've answered our prayers and met our needs, often in ways we could never have dreamed possible. We praise you for your faithful love toward us. Because we have known your love, we come to you with confidence, offering our prayers for the world that you love. We pray for those in need in our world, those without food, without water, without shelter, without hope, without you. We pray for the regions of our world caught up in violence, war, and threats of war. We pray for your peace to rest with the people of Kenya following the elections there this week. Father, for the leaders involved in the North Korea tensions, God, we just pray that you would give wisdom Allow there to be desire for reconciliation. Yes. God, bring your peace for the tensions that have been manifested in the U.S. this week in Virginia. Yes. God, may you break down the divining walls of hostility. Father, among us, we pray for those who live with serious illness and chronic pain, for those who are grieving loss. Father, we thank you this week for, for Club H2O and for all the leaders and the students, Lord. May you water the seeds of faith sown this past week. We pray for Jerry during this week of this time of August rest. May you refresh him by your spirit at work in his life. We thank you for faithfulness to this congregation over the hundred years and the many who have shown faithfulness to you in ministry. Father, may you empower us now, by your spirit, that we may walk in the way of humility and faithful obedience this week. May our actions bear witness to the words we speak so that our lives will bring glory and honor to you in all we do. Father, bless now and use these tithes and offerings that we may be used for your kingdom building here and to the ends of the earth. You have blessed us to be a blessing, to be your light in the darkness your voice in the wilderness, your hope for the hopeless. Give us strength in our weakness that we may always be peaceful and gentle. Give us words of boldness to proclaim more of you and less of us. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. All right, church, let's sing together. Men of faith, rise up and sing of your great and glorious King. You are strong when you feel weak in your brokenness complete. Shout to the north and the south, come and sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all. Lord of heaven and earth, rise up. church. What a blessing. How good it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. May you go forth from this place in the love and the peace of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may you know that he is the lifter of your head, the lifter of your face. May he love the world, his world, through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.